Hello, friends. It feels like it has been so long since I've spoken to you when in fact it's only been one week that I took off. But hello, everyone. Welcome back to the New England Gothic. You all are the best for bearing with me. I've just been super, super busy. Last week, I was just, you know, when you're so burnt out, you just can't. I just couldn't. I'm so sorry. Let's just get right into it. Today, we are doing the paranormal, the supernatural. We've got a very famous alien abduction story for you. If not the most famous and the most iconic, basically the original American UFO abduction story, the Betty and Barney Hill case. So really quick fun fact about this case, the abduction site has been memorialized. It is in New Hampshire and there's a gift shop in a gas station for the alien abduction. Sounds odd. It is indeed odd, but it's a fun place where you can buy merch because I certainly have visited and I certainly have the merch. Before we get into the details of the Betty and Barney Hill case, I do want to note that this case is extremely historically significant. It took place in the 60s, which is very early on in the UFO alien phenomena in America. In fact, their case is legitimately the blueprint for what we consider to be an alien abduction story, which obviously we will get into the details, but the step-by-step -step process that they are taken through according to their recollections of the events, is what we just all consider a standard UFO experience. It started with Betty and Barney Hill, so let's just jump right into it. Let's get started. Betty and Barney Hill lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney worked for the United States Postal Service, and Betty was a social worker. They were active members at church, and they were also community leaders at their chapter of the NAACP, Barney even sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple during a time where this was not widely accepted. Barney was black and Betty was white. Their involvement with the civil rights movement and the stress of being an interracial couple during this time, all of this does play a role in major theories behind what happened to this couple, and we will circle back to that later, but I did want to note it because it is important to this story. In September of 1961, Betty and Barney Hill decided to go on a spontaneous road trip. So spontaneous, in fact, they had no time to go to the bank before it closed for the weekend. They went on their trip with very little money in their pockets. All they had packed up were a few pieces of clothing and their dog, Delcy. So Barney worked long nights for the post office and Betty had a rough job handling child welfare cases. They were also extremely busy people who spent most of their free time working at church or within their civil rights activities. Betty and Barney Hill had only been married for 16 months before their last minute trip to Montreal and Niagara Falls. They considered this a late honeymoon. On the last night of their three-day journey north, the couple stopped for coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before heading back home. Supposedly, bad weather was coming through the area, so Barney was determined to drive through the night and reach their destination as fast as possible. They left around 10 p.m., estimating they could probably get back to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. 
Possibly a little sleep-deprived, they powered through their nighttime drive, and suddenly a light in the sky between the moon and Jupiter seemed to follow them. Barney was very educated on planes and was also a World War II veteran, so he was sure they had nothing to worry about. But that light just kept getting closer and larger. He assured Betty it was just a satellite, but the light seemed intelligent and it moved along with the car, following it in some sort of hide-and-seek game. This must be an illusion, they thought. Curiosity overcame the couple, so they pulled over at a road stop to get a closer look. Betty, looking through binoculars, described an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights traveling across the face of the moon. It is noted that a few years earlier, her sister had described seeing a flying saucer to her, and Betty had become interested in the idea of UFOs. Barney, ever so reasonable, decided that it was just a commercial airliner traveling towards Vermont on its way to Montreal. However, he soon changed his mind because the craft rapidly descended in his direction. Barney, Betty told her husband, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. He knew she was right. Barney had an IQ of over 140 as noted by an author who wrote about the couple's story. Barney knew well enough that the object was too quiet to be a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet. But he didn't want to scare Betty. However, he was concerned. The Hills decided to get back in their car and drive down the isolated road, moving very slowly through Franconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, they claimed the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain, and then came out again near the infamous Old Man of the Mountain. Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which is about 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched in awe and horror as the silent, illuminated craft moved erratically throughout the night sky. About 70 miles past the diner, the object began to hover just above the treetops. Barney, suddenly compelled by some unknown force, slams on the brakes, but keeps the engine running. He grabs a handgun he had hidden beneath the seat into his pocket, and he flies out of the car into a field, leaving Betty alone in the car. What he claims to have seen was as large as a jet, but was round and flat. My God, what is this thing? He recalled thinking. This can't be real. Behind rows of windows, gray uniformed beings seemed to look right at him. He tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow he couldn't. He was suddenly overwhelmed by a voice that was not his own, speaking to him inside his own mind. In unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. One figure stayed behind and continued to look at Barney and Betty. Barney claims this figure was the one communicating with him telepathically, telling him to stay where he was and to keep looking. At this point in time of the encounter, Barney recalls seeing these humanoid-like figures wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. He also described red lights and bat-wing-like fins on the sides of the craft. 
He claims the craft still remained silent and was within 50 to 80 feet above him and only 300 feet away from him. So as Barney is standing in this field with his gun that he's physically unable to use, and he's staring at this craft with these humanoid figures that he can't possibly explain, he describes feeling very overwhelmed with dread. Yeah, you think? I don't know how he made it that long without becoming overwhelmed with dread. In fact, I'm overwhelmed with dread 24-7. It would not take a giant UFO ship hovering above me with humanoid figures telepathically communicating to me to feel overwhelmed with dread. But anyway, this is just what Barney said. I would love to be that calm, cool, and collected. Sorry, I had to throw one of my stupid jokes in here at some point. Anyway, Barney, overcome with dread, flees to the car, screaming in absolute horror that, oh my god, we are going to be captured by these creatures. So he jumps back in the car and they speed away from the scene as fast as they can while still trying to keep track of where the craft is. Without an explanation, suddenly loud rhythmic beeps and bumpings are coming from the car's trunk. This is the last thing the couple collectively remember before becoming immensely drowsy and passing out. Two hours later, they wake up 35 miles away down the road. And they just continued on home, as if nothing had happened. Once they arrive home to Portsmouth, they feel off. They get home at about dawn, and they just stated that they had some odd sensations and impulses they couldn't really explain. Betty insisted that they keep their luggage near the back door rather than putting it back in the house. Their watches stopped working and their binocular straps were torn. The toes of Barney's best dress shoes were scraped and he says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. They both took very long showers to remove possible contamination and each drew a picture of what they had observed. The hills were very confused, to say the least. I mean... I'm also confused. That's all very confusing. They tried to reconstruct their previous night's events as they witnessed the UFO, but both have no memories after they heard the banging and buzzing from the trunk. Deciding to take a much-needed nap, which, that's 100%, if I got abducted by an alien, I would immediately just go home and take a nap about it. I don't know about you, but that's what I would do. Betty wakes up from her nap and begins to unpack her suitcase where she notices that the dress she was wearing is torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. She hangs it up in her closet and goes back to check later and notices there is a mysterious pink powder on all the clothing. She puts them outside on the clothes hanger and the wind blows this powder away and suddenly the clothing is irreparably damaged. This unexplainable event prompts her to throw the dress away, but then realize there could be something on here. So she ends up keeping it so that possibly a lab could do forensic analysis on it. I don't have any further information about whether or not there was anything found on the dress, just that she decided to keep the dress to have it tested. Other than their watches never working again and the clothing being damaged, there were Also, odd, shiny circles that were on the car's trunk that had not been there before. 
Betty and Barney decided to experiment with a compass, noting that when it moved closer to those spots, the needle would whirl rapidly and then go back to normal when moved away from the, quote, shiny spots on the trunk. In the weeks and months after, Betty decided to check out books from the library discovering the civilian UFO group National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Sorry, that's a mouthful. So Betty discovers the NICAP. She also decides to report their experience to the Air Force because she claims she's worried about radiation. Before we move on with the story, I do want to interject for a moment and kind of point out that Betty seems really familiar with UFO lore and things that happen around UFOs. Because keep in mind, this is the 60s, and immediately she's worried after their experience about radiation and contamination. That's something someone would need to be familiar with UFOs or aliens, I think, to worry about. I mean, then again, maybe not. I don't know. But also knowing to take a compass out. And remember, there's the fact that her sister had gotten her into UFOs weeks before this even happened. Basically, just keep it on the front of your mind as we're moving through the next part of the story, which involves their hypnosis sessions, their recovered memories, and their kind of skyrocket, no pun intended, to fame in the UFO community. Almost exactly one month after their experience, Betty and Barney Hill meet with Walter Webb, a Boston-based astronomer and member of NICAP. They had a six-hour interview where the Hills told Walter Webb everything they could remember about their potential UFO encounter. Barney did state that he had developed a mental block, and he suspected that there were many portions of the event that he couldn't remember. He did describe in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the humanoid figures, and Webb stated he knew deep down that they, quote, were telling the truth. But keep in mind, Webb works for a UFO committee, and he probably is a little bit biased and really wants to believe what they're saying. So years pass, they move on with their lives, and Betty begins suffering from extremely vivid nightmares, and Barney develops an ulcer and anxiety. Something traumatizing definitely happened to them, and they knew they needed help. So the two meet with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist, neurologist who also is a hypnotist. That'd be, that's great. Like, imagine that business card. Anywho, they meet with Benjamin Simon, and hypnosis was pretty mainstream at the time when it came to mental health treatments. So let's take a look at the couple's individual hypnosis sessions. So starting with Barney, Barney reports that the binocular strap breaks when he runs back from the UFO to his car. He recalls getting in the car and driving away from the UFO, but again feeling this irresistible compulsion to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sights six men standing on the dirt road. He said the car stalls and three of the men approach the car. They tell Barney not to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. While hypnotized, Barney says, quote, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Barney describes the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic recollection. The beings often stared into his eyes, which would put him under a trance. 
Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're there in my brain, and all I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. I'm sorry, that is so ominous and unsettling. I actually hate that. Anywho, Barney claims they did communicate with him multiple times through what he called, quote, thought transference, which at the time he was probably just unfamiliar with the word telepathic. That's what, so thought transference, telepathic. I don't think it was a commonly known word back then. Betty's sessions were extremely similar to Barney's, except for the fact that she was more intrigued, whereas Barney was incredibly anxious and traumatized, basically. But over the course of these sessions, Simon believes he was able to piece together what happened to the couple by using both of their recalled memories. And here is that story. This is according to the psychiatrist and hypnotherapist, This is what happened to Betty and Barney Hill. So if you recall, Betty and Barney Hill claimed that they blacked out after they were running or driving away from this UFO and they started to hear unexplainable sounds coming from the trunk. So apparently, the vessel following them landed on their car and it put them to sleep. Gray beings then walked them up a long ramp and into a spacecraft. Once inside the craft, the hills were separated taking turns in different examination rooms that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each was asked to climb up on a metal table. They noted the table was so short that Barney's legs hung over the side. During their examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothing, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material, not unlike a glass slide. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. One large needle about six inches long was inserted into Betty's belly. She called this a pregnancy test, and she claimed this pregnancy test left her in a lot of pain. Throughout this ordeal, a being Barney and Betty both called the leader watched from the side. After Betty's examination ended, the beings rushed her back into a room. There was a commotion because the beings were very excited to see that Barney's teeth could be removed. But Betty laughed at this, explaining Barney had dentures, they weren't his real teeth, and this was a fact that the alien beings seemed to be confused by. Betty claims at one point she is alone with the leader, and she asks the leader where they are, admitting she knew little of the universe. The being joked with her, saying, If you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Later under hypnosis, she draws a star map that was shown to her by the leader on the ship. Remember the star map because it's going to come up. She also claimed that the leader was going to give her a book that explained who they were, but later on, other beings decided it was a bad idea and Betty was sent home empty-handed. After all of this, the Hill story is picked up by a Boston newspaper in 1965, so it's been about four years. After that, their lives were changed forever. 
It was said that the couple didn't seek media attention, especially as an interracial couple at the time, they did not want any attention on them that could cause harm. But somehow, this story gets out. It's a little bit unclear. It was said that the couple really only shared their experience within the UFO community and within their close friends and family. But, you know, stories get out. It's a really interesting, wild story. A newspaper called The Boston Traveler put out a front-page story called UFO Chiller. Did they seize couple? This was October 25, 1965. In 1966, a writer named John G. Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and their hypnotherapist Simon, and he wrote the book The Interrupted Journey about the Betty and Barney Hill case. This book does include a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. The book was incredibly successful. And I also want to note, remember in the beginning I said there is a Betty and Barney Hill memorial slash museum slash gift shop in a gas station off the side of the road? A lot of this can be seen taped to the walls there. It's very cool. Sadly, only a few years later, on February 25th, 1969, Barney dies of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 46. After his death, Betty went on to become a major celebrity in the UFO community. She lived until 2004 and died of cancer at the age of 85, and she never remarried. So now that we've gone over the Betty and Barney Hill story, what their abduction experience was like, and then what they recalled during their hypnosis, let's talk a little bit about... We, I want to bring up the star map, and then I want to talk about a couple theories that people have put out there about what the heck happened here. Really quick, let's circle back to the star map. So in 1968, a woman named Marjorie Fish read Fuller's book, Interrupted Journey. Fish was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer. Intrigued by the story and the idea of the star map, Fish wondered if it might be, quote, decipherable to determine which star system the UFO came from. Under the assumption that our sun was one of the 15 stars mentioned in the star map, Fish constructed a three-dimensional model of nearby sun-like stars. Fish creates this model out of beads and string and studies thousands of points over several years, and the only one that seems to match the hill map was from the viewpoint of the double star system of Zeta Reticuli. I am so sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but this is about 39 light years from Earth. So Fish sends this analysis to Webb, the astronomer from earlier in the story. Webb agrees that this is definitely, this is the star map, like this is the area. So Webb sends the star map to a man named Terence Dickinson, editor of the magazine, astronomy. So even though the editor Dickinson didn't 100% support their conclusions, he still published it, and this was the first time in the journal's history that anything UFO was allowed to be discussed, and the magazine actually invited commenters and debates on the UFO report. So for about a year later, the opinions page of astronomy carried arguments for or against Fish's star map. Notable arguments came from very famous scientists like Carl Sagan. 
In case you're curious, Carl Sagan thought the whole thing was bullshit. Carl Sagan actually demonstrated in the 80s on an episode of Cosmos that without the lines drawn in the maps, the Hill Star map had no resemblance to any real-life map. So these results actually led Fish herself to reject her hypothesis in a public statement many years later. So they're literally talking about this star map in the astronomy world for over a decade. So the Hill case really did have a huge impact on multiple communities. So I just wanted to put that out there. So now that you've heard the story, and now that you know that there was a potential home base of these aliens found with a star map, let's talk about some theories about what happened to Betty and Barney Hill. So the biggest theory is the fact that they were indeed abducted and that everything they're saying is true and that they were abducted by these beings from the star system and they had this experience and that's that. So a lot of people don't believe that aliens exist or that UFOs are real or that they were abducted. However, every single person who ever encountered the hills, I will say in the research, they all say that they 100% believe Betty and Barney Hill were not lying, that they truly believed that this happened to them. So psychiatrists believed that maybe this was a hallucination brought on by stress and sleep deprivation. Remember, they were an interracial couple in the 60s in New Hampshire. They were under a lot of stress, and their daily jobs were very stressful, and their civil rights work was very stressful. A lot of people believe that something really did happen to them, that they may have been targeted by racists, or the police, or some sort of organization that was not happy with them for their civil rights work or just existing as an interracial couple. And I'm, you know what? I'm behind this theory because that shit still goes on today. So one of the theories is, you know, they have this bad encounter with someone who meant them harm or who did harm them. And they were so exhausted from their trip. They were so sleep deprived. They were so traumatized that they just blacked out and don't really remember what happened to them. And then Betty starts having these dreams. She's already really interested in UFO lore. They just kind of absorb this story. So by the time they're hypnotized, they like are fully on board with each other and have the same story and same memory because they just are hyper fixated on it. Does that make sense? Like they really truly believe this happened to them and something traumatic really did happen to them Clearly, because Barney develops an ulcer and dies a few years later. I mean, his death might not be directly related, but he did develop a stress ulcer and uh, Betty starts to have nightmares. Basically, my rant, what I'm saying is psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever, they all fully believed like something happened to the Hills that gave them PTSD and it just so happened that this is how it manifested and they really just went with the UFO idea. Another similar theory is that they were really tired. They're really stressed out from their life. Not that anything happened to them traumatic on their trip, but they were just really sleep deprived and they were confusing an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as the UFO. 
So a local man with the last name McDonald tried to recreate the case, and he proved that based on the notes from the roads they claim to have taken, that beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same times the hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. And remember, stress, sleep deprivation, they're driving late at night, they're seeing this light, they're having these false memories that are, quote, recovered under this hypnosis. These psychiatrists and psychologists, I always get confused, honestly. I mean, I know they do different things, but you get what I'm saying. They describe the hills as the poster children for why you should not drive while sleep deprived. A lot of people believe this theory. Adding a little bit more to this theory, there were claims that the couple might have been influenced by an episode of a sci-fi TV show called The Outer Limits, and the episode was called The Bellero Shield, which was broadcast only two weeks before Barney's first hypnosis session. The episode did feature an alien with large eyes who says, quote, In all the universes, in all the unities, beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. Remember the eyes? That sounds really similar to the quote that Barney remembers having heard in his own mind. So in this scenario, we're imagining the hills are stressed out, they're sleep deprived, they're driving home really late, they're trying to beat a storm, they're seeing this light from the airplane beacon that's appearing and disappearing over Cannon Mountain. They believe that they saw something. Then, you know, they go home, they're weird about it. They're like, let's just take a nap about this. Shit's weird right now. Then they go to their hypnosis later on. And in the meantime, they've watched this TV show about aliens and that's fresh on their minds. And Betty, again, she's already really into UFOs because her sister claimed to see one and she had already been familiar with UFO lore. So they're very influenced. And, you know, they're a married couple. I feel like they're just absorbing each other's ideas. You know what I mean? What's that called when it's like you're basically absorbing this close person to use thoughts and memories or whatever? It's a thing that happens. There's a name for it. I can't remember. Didn't look it up. So sorry. My personal opinion is that either something stressful happened to them, like maybe they had a negative police encounter or an encounter with some racists or, you know, something weird happened and they're running away from them. And then while they're running away from them, maybe they're confusing this beacon on the hill with an, a UFO. You know what I mean? I kind of believe in like a combo of those last two theories that something really bad did happen to them and they really felt compelled to run away and they felt like they were being chased. And then they're seeing this light that's confusing and they're tired and they're scared and they're traumatized. And then they're influenced by this TV show before they go to hypnosis. You know what I mean? I kind of believe in a combo. Personally, I would love to believe in the UFO story, but you guys know me. I'm a skeptic. UFO lore is personally my favorite thing. And I do, I will say, I believe in the idea of aliens. I don't know how much I believe in their interactions with people on this planet or whatever, but I will admit, because I try to keep my personal opinions a little more on the down low on this show, but I do believe in aliens. So I'm putting that out there. Regardless of what you believe, it just seems that Betty was really the driving force of 
she really wanted to understand what they had encountered. You know, she responded with interest. You know, she let the Air Force know what was going on. She had a fear of radiation. She pulled out the compasses. Like I said earlier, that is behavior of someone who is probably most likely already familiar with UFO lore. And it just seems that Betty really heavily influenced Barney. I, again, I don't believe they were lying ever. All reports say that they were good, honest people, and they truly believed what happened. And whatever did happen to them caused them so much stress. So, I don't know. Maybe it really was aliens. That is totally possible. But, yeah, that is it. That is the Betty Hill and Barney Hill alien abduction story. This was the first popularized tale of someone being abducted, taken into a ship, being communicated with telepathically, being experimented on. We've got pregnancy tests. We've got humanoid figures, star maps. This whole trope becomes like a cliche in alien media. Alien media, I don't know what that is, but like I'm thinking X-Files. I'm thinking every alien movie I've ever seen about an abduction. Betty and Barney Hill were the blueprint. This was by far the first UFO sighting in New England. I covered Puritan UFO sightings. So obviously people have been seeing mysterious objects in the sky since the dawn of time. But this is the first major publicized abduction story that was taken pretty seriously by the mainstream people, you know? So it's cool. And if you're in New England and you get a chance, I am telling you, go up to the memorial. It is so cool and funky. And it's like just in a little gas station. So, you know, you're driving, you're in New Hampshire, you're in the White Mountains. It's really close to some really cool hiking spots too. It's in a stunningly gorgeous part of New Hampshire. So definitely check it out. It is so worth it. But yeah, that is all I have for you all today. It is getting late. I've got to get this edited. I am procrastinating per usual. I just really love this story. There was a lot to it. I wanted to make sure I got all the details and let you all know some theories. I wanted to talk about the historical significance. But anyway, per usual, I love you guys. I'm sorry I had to take a little break. I'm going to try and keep on it a little bit better in the next couple weeks. As always, share with your friends, spread the love. I need those five stars. I need those good reviews. This is an independent woman-run podcast. It is just me. I'm in my living room. I've got a cute little DIY setup that I'm not ever going to show you because my cat has made a bed out of my microphone soundproof area, so it's covered in hair and it looks disgusting. But it works, okay? You got to do what you got to do. I love you all so much. I am your host, Kate Ford. This has been the New England Gothic. Find us on social media on Instagram, the New England Gothic. I'm on TikTok personally as Creepy Caitlin. I spell Caitlin C A I T L I N. Our email is the New England Gothic at gmail.com. And anytime you need to reach out, even if you just need someone to listen to you, like I always say, shit's tough right now. Mental health is important. I'm here for you, even though I'm probably a total stranger. 
And I'm here for you if you have a spooky story you want to tell someone. I'm collecting listener lore stories. It can be about anything at all. If it's spooky, I want to hear it. And what else? I had you all vote on what you wanted to hear next. You all voted for true crime. You're getting true crime. I'm going to cover a Boston serial killer next week. I'm not going to say who. I again want to make sure I do this case justice. I take the true crime cases, as you know, a little, maybe a little too seriously, but I'd rather take it too seriously than not seriously at all, because we are talking about real human beings who suffered and died at the hands of a serial killer. So that is what we have coming up next. And that is all I've got for you tonight. I love you all. Thank you all so much for all of your support. And I will talk to you next week. This is the New England Gothic, and my name is Kate Ford.